afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on The Scoop. In all of the work that I've done in nursing and interprofessional care, in every element of research, the number one variable that comes out at the end of the day is communication. And a lot of times people plan uh, to move forward and how we're going to do it in silos and not together. Well, certainly a lot of healthcare related news over the past week, with Ontario Health Minister Sylvia Jones releasing a plan to tackle the province's health sector crisis, with some describing the system on the verge of collapse. With issues such as staffing shortages, hospitals, including our own hospitals in Kingston, struggling to keep up with emergency room overflow. Well, the plan includes offering more surgeries at private clinics, removing registration fees for internationally trained nurses, and looking at transfers from hospitals to long-term care homes for the elderly. I spoke with the Vice Dean of Health Sciences and Director of the School of Nursing at Queen's University, Dr. Ernest Snellgrove-Clark, initially to get her perspective on the province's plan. But then I realized I had a story on my hands. This was uh, obviously been big news. Uh, with our health minister, Sylvia Jones, uh, releasing a plan to tackle uh, what's being billed as uh, the province's health sector crisis. Uh, It's been described by some as on the verge of collapse. And certainly a a major part of what is uh, being addressed is uh, the staffing shortages of regards to, to nurses. This is certainly a topic that I've covered in the past with the president of the Ontario Nursing Association, uh, Dr. Catherine Hoy, uh, who has yeah. talked quite length, great length about this and about Bill 124 and all of that. But I'd like to hear from you. You know, what, what do you feel is the biggest issue right now with regards to, um, to attracting and retaining nurses in, in our local healthcare system? Well, it's an interesting question that you pose, Kareem, because we don't have any trouble attracting nurses. And that's the part of this that I think in some of the ways that we speak, it's rather confusing because over the past year, and I think the exact uh, intake year was 2021, at uh, the School of Nursing at Queen's, we had a 59% jump in our applicants for our undergraduate program. So what's what's most most interesting is we do have um, some fractures in our healthcare system. That's for certain, but those have been longstanding. And nursing has been talking about the shortage for many many years. And I what has happened as a result of COVID is it's further exemplified that we haven't been paying attention to the nurses that are retiring, the need for nor- more nurses, and the need to open seats so that those seats are available so we can educate the nurses. Now, I understand uh, as part of the health plan, it was to remove registration fees uh, for nurses who uh, who were trained out, outside of Canada. Do, do you okay. feel that, that this is a step in the right direction? I think any strategy that we put in place will be helpful. I, I don't think that strategy in and of itself is going to change what's happening but it certainly will enable um, persons to to have maybe greater financial success in being able to start. But in order to educate more nurses, and while there are some places, and I don't know them all sadly within our province that offer this, um, there may not be enough for the numbers that they're hoping to get. So I think some more work has to go into that before we're ready to start that process of providing that education and clinical placements. There may not be enough of, sorry, can you clarify that? 
Yeah, I, I'm not certain um, that in the moment, as much as we are talking about educating internationally educated nurses, that the current uh, universities and colleges that have these uh, programs to enable them to come in um, about the number of spaces that are there. Okay. Or for spots for people to receive that education and or uh, places for those nurses to receive the mentorship in the hospital before they write those licensure exams you're speaking of. So there still are some stuff that needs to be looked at with regards to spots yeah. available for education. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the concept is a good concept. The work that needs to be done to prepare for that concept has not all been ironed out at this point. I mean, and so from what I'm gathering, it, it, it's not the fact that there's a shortage of, it's the fact that um, it, it's the retention that that seems to be the, 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 the key issue here then. You know, okay, I think I would probably say that it, there is a shortage of nurses. That's a, that's, that is true because the nursing population globally uh, by 2029, if I'm getting the year correct, will be 13 million nurses short. So there is there has been a shortage of nurses for a long time, but it is both the shortage of nurses and the retention. We have an interest of new students coming in, but we need seats for those new new students so that we can get them out faster. Now, some of the of the other points that, that have been brought up in, in the health plan uh, have yes. to do with um, finding ways to not have patients, you know, crowding in, in the emergency. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if you can speak to that to some of the strategies that, that have been implemented, uh, looking at actually I can speak to it because okay. there's a beautiful strategy that we're doing uh, in Queen's Health Sciences. Uh, uh, under the leadership of uh, Dr. Philpot and Dr. Roger Pilon and Dr. Kim Morrison, uh, we're looking at developing a health home actually it's going to be called the Periwinkle Health Home, where interprofessional collaboration will occur and family physicians and nurse practitioners will work together to support those uh, persons in our community that don't have primary care health providers. So what's happening in our emergencies, for example, in the overload is that many people don't have care providers. So we're gonna, uh, as, as part of our faculty, set up a health home where they can go to receive the care that they're not getting from an immediate, say family physician or nurse practitioner, and then decrease that intake in emergency um, to be able to go to get support from the Periwinkle Health Home. Oh, so so this this is currently in the works. This project it, it is currently in the works. We have, I believe, secured a location. Um, there has been a special advisor to the dean hired, that's Dr. Roger uh, Pilon, to get it going. There's a group of interprofessionals that are working to talk about what we need. The dean has met with the health minister to gain her support so we can get this initiated because what we're, you know, in a conversation that I had yesterday um, with the Globe, I made reference to the fact that many times we don't think upstream. And so we have all these people going to emerge because they're not getting immediate primary care. And if we think about new and, and in, new initiatives and strategies that we can help pe people earlier rather than later, we won't have these backlogs that we currently have. So by putting more nurse practitioners into the system, by increasing the way we work in teams so that we can parcel out the care that's needed rather than leaving it to one specific care provider, I think we can help decrease some of those challenges that we're currently having. 
Okay, well, I, I'm now I'm really curious to learn more about this project. So this is this is going to be uh, with in in the Kingston area. This yes. whole yes, in Kingston. Because I, I feel no, like this is, this is completely new here. So I find oh, I have, brand, this, brand this, new. Is, this is a story. This is great. It, it no, totally is a story, uh, and yeah. it shouldn't be one that I own because there is a group of people who are actively working on it. But um, I was given permission to share it with you as a new initiative that we're working on for moving forward. Excellent. So Kingston, we have 20, roughly 20,000 persons um, who are not attached to a primary care provider. And so when you think about backlog, if you don't have a family physician or a nurse practitioner to go to, if you have a health concern, you go to emergency for something that could be seen uh, in an area where there are interprofessionals working together. So that's the concept behind this. So we can open it up and have a place for people to go. Because this certainly has been a local issue with um, you know, a yeah. hotel deal having to shut down uh, early right. on a couple of occasions, but just not having the, the, the staff to, to care for all the people who are ending up in emergency. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so this, so this certainly sounds like uh, this is really is, this this strategy with with creating this 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 care home is really mm -hmm. going to be a, a solution. It, I think, it really is going to be a solution. I mean, the part of the this is one step in the beginning of solutions because what we need to do is what I would argue is that our our system and our processes are not functioning effectively, and we can look at different areas as the source of the problem, but it's the collective that we need to look at, and we need to. We need to look at healthcare and work in new ways to provide it because the old ways aren't working. And unless we start soon, you know, yesterday, to think about how we're going to provide support to the persons in our community, then we're going to get behind. And we're already seeing that with nurses because we haven't attended to the fact that the nurses are not being retained in the hospital for a variety of different reasons. So interest is there. The pandemic has shown us that because our applications rates have increased ever since COVID. So uh, there are young persons who, who want to be nurses. We just have to have the place to put them. And then we have to think of new ways to work together so we can uh, enhance the services that we are providing and, and get away from these challenges that we've been experiencing. Uh, there continues to be calls to repeal Bill 124. Uh, with with uh, with with capping nurses wages and, uh, and, go, and going further than that in some respects. Uh, do you feel like this is something that that really should should the discussion around this should continue? I think that all persons' salaries should be considered in a time um, when we're having challenges. I know that we're bringing in temporary agency nurses to do the work of of staff because of shortages, and we have the money, uh, lots of money, to pay the temporary nurses, but we're not able to give the additional funds to persons that Bill One Twenty Four align with. So I think we should be looking at how we pay people, how we treat people, how we value people in order to keep them motivated and, and wanting to work in the organizations where they are. Because there definitely is some, some, some deeper root causes going on with regards to uh, health and safety, uh, to, to burnout. And uh, this yeah. is all part of the bigger picture. That's, uh, that's right. And that's why uh, when people talk about how we're going to fix this, there isn't a fix. It is a, a systems issue that has been around for a long time. And we've come to the critical juncture where it's time for us to really think about moving forward. We can band-aid 
some things, but other things we really need to get to the root source and take down what has been the issues and problems in the past. Money could be one of those things, but how we work together in organizations to uh, provide care, because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for, to support people to have helpful outcomes. Another part of, of the uh, of, of, of the the plan involved uh, some uh, increasing sur- surgeries offered at, at, pr- at private clinics, uh, and, and I know there, there's been some some debate around whether th- th- this could further cause cause harm to the public health system. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I I struggle with that one tremendously because my first response is what happens to the Canada Health Act. So I feel that's one of those band aids. Um, I don't think. I, I mean, it certainly if persons are able to afford private, but that may affect those that cannot. And we made an agreement in our country that we would provide care for all. So privatizing is not going to move us towards success. It may further uh, alienate us to finding ways to work together, but rather than becoming separate sources of care. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we've touched on private. We've touched on uh, registration for international trained nurses. We, we've touched on also um, uh, care homes as well to help clear out the overflow from uh, from emergency. Uh, a- anything else you, you'd like to touch on? If I could have a, a magic card, <laughs> I would tell you that in all of the work that I've done in nursing and interprofessional care, in every element of research, the number one variable that comes out at the end of the day is communication. And a lot of times people plan uh, to move forward and how we're gonna do it in silos and not together. And if we want to tackle the fractures that we have in our healthcare system, then all persons, whether they range from decision makers to frontline persons, we need to talk together about the issues, to hear each other, to understand those barriers and facilitators. I'm quite confident that we can make a change. I think. The health home that I've mentioned to you is one of those places where people are working together collaboratively to make a change. If we could look at that broad scale, I'm quite confident we could we could improve the way that care is being provided right now and the way that it will be provided in the future. Wow. So so communication between all different levels, yeah. um, you know, meeting people where they're at and, and working together versus absolutely uh, the decisions, like you said, being made and, and, and there being that lack of communication. Yeah, right. And, yes. and you feel like like that's been uh, been a, another um, root root cause of what we're seeing right now in the system. I, I certainly do. Yes. Dr. Ernest Snellgrove Clark is the Vice Dean of Health Sciences and the Director of the School of Nursing at Queen's University. She spoke with me not only about the province's health care plan, but also she revealed in our conversation that a new health home is in the works to address local challenges. You're listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. And now we turn things over to Christina Laurie to find out what's going on locally in the arts scene this week. This is Christina Laurie coming in with your arts news updates. The Kingston Baroque Concert is pleased to announce its second season of music from the Baroque era. The 2022-23 season will feature four in-person concerts on Fridays featuring Baroque favorites and some unexpected new delights. With generous support from the Kingston Arts Council and the Bali Tobin Foundation, the first concert of the season will take place at the Isabel Bader Centre for the Performing Arts. That concert will be Le Bourgeois Gentium, comedy from Lily's 17th century France, and that's October 7th, 2022 at 7.30pm. 
The next show will be Folk and Baroque, Music and Tales from the British Isles. That's November 18th at 5.15pm at St. James Anglican Church. The third show is L'Art del Arco, Italian Music for Strings. January 20th, 2023 at 5.15pm, also at St. James Anglican Church. And finally, Baroque Celebration, Batch and Friends, March 10th, 2023 at 5.15pm at St. James Anglican Church. Single tickets for adults are $25, students $10, and under 17 is free. For subscription to all four concerts, adults are $80, students $30, and under 17 is free. Tickets are available by emailing legaric at queensview.ca or calling 613-217-5099 or can be purchased at Novel Idea, that's 156 Princess Street. You can also find them on Facebook at Kingston Baroque for more info. Local author Judy Merle's debut novel combines her love of storytelling, genealogy, and indigenous wisdom to create a story inspired by her family's history, personal research, and visions of her own life. This September, she will share that story and its creation during a presentation at the Kingston Frontenac Public Library. Wabanong, an Anishinaabe granddaughter's search for the truth, is centered on Janie, a young Anishinaabe woman seeking information about her grandmother's experiences with colonialism. After consulting a hypnotist, Janie's pushed back to a time before first contact, then to the early life of her grandmother, showing the consequences of colonialism on her family. On September 7th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., Merle will share more about this original work that explores the pains of the past and the need for reconciliation today. She'll read from the book, explore the creative process, and engage in a Q&A session following her presentation. The event is happening at the Isabel Turner branch, and you can register online at calendar.kflp.ca. As we approach the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, observed on September 30th, KFPL is offering more opportunities to learn about cultural resilience. Currently at the Window Gallery, local artists Ann Clark, Mark Laundry, Bandera, and Mark Bergstead present a glimpse into their private studios with their exhibition Unity Road 4. In the eclectic show, the artists take us on a multi-dimensional journey comprised of brilliantly colorful artworks and organic forms. I actually sat down with Mark Laundry, Ben Dara, and Mark Bergstead to talk about what folks can expect to see from this exhibition. So here are three of the four artists on what you can expect to see. So to get us started, would you all like to introduce yourselves? I'm Mark Bergstead. I am a sculptor. Hi, I'm Mark Laundry, and I am a painter. <laughs> I am Ben Dara, and I'm also a painter. Right now we're at your exhibition at the Window Art Gallery, and I was wondering if you'd like to just tell us a bit about it. Well, um, Mark Laundry organized this exhibition. Uh, he did the legwork to get us the show here, and the second one that he's he's organized for us. Um, and I think I'm going to speak for him a little bit, and then he can correct what I'm saying. Um, it was the idea that we, we all share a studio together um, on Unity Road, and it was an opportunity to, to show the work we're doing. And, and even though our work is quite disparate, I think his feeling is there's a sort of community and interaction, and we all look at each other's work, even though we're not always there at the same time, we're very rarely there at the same time, we are influenced by each other. So I'm, I think that was the idea, an opportunity to, to show some work. Do you want to add to that? Yeah. I would say it, there is a large element of it being a social interaction and the good thing about that is that you can talk about your work in art whereas if you're just talking with your family 
I don't get the idea they understand half the stuff I would say. So that's really nice. It's nice to be able to talk to like-minded people and have them know what you're talking about. So that social interaction, I think, is it. I find that inspiring. It makes you want to do the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, uh, I really like the idea of these group shows that we've done two now, thanks to Mark, because I like showing the fact that we're a group, we share a studio, but all of our work is completely different. And that, I think, is very... It's appealing to me in sharing a space where we're all making completely different things and we're all we're still all feeding off of each other's work and energy and when when we are there at the same time but i think it's uh it's exciting for people to to witness a a group that isn't like say like a group of seven or something like that where it's all kind of there's no question when you see something like that you're like oh yeah it's all they're all the same but we're very independent, but we're also, you know, together and also dependent on each other because it's the only way we could afford the studio. So. Definitely. And I mean, since people can't really see what's going on here, I was wondering if you'd each like to describe maybe the pieces you've contributed just in terms of the medium, because I don't think people realize there's so many different things going on here. Uh, sure. Although I'm going to be an awful interviewee and, and respond to something else first. So we're also, besides the three of us, um, we're missing our, our fourth member, Anne Clark, who's unable to be here today. Um, and, and with, between us, we have a, a, a very wide um, experience, variety of, um, of art experiences, which I think has been really interesting and and we're sort of developing like what mark was saying we kind of develop a sort of shorthand like when you when you're talking to people who aren't making art all the time you got to have to start explain each step whereas in the studio we can kind of we're, we're able even though we're doing very different work we're able to sort of communicate in, in, a, in a shorthand and, and lots of silly jokes and, and things that, that we get that someone coming in wouldn't understand or think we're just silly anyways so you handed me the mic uh, my, uh, my work um, in this exhibition consists of um, very small works that I'm thinking of as sketches that I, I started about 10 years ago, some of them. Some of them um, were started really recently. Others, I've had the panels and I've had some color down. So what, what I'm doing is I, I have these odd-shaped, sometimes odd-shaped and sometimes just rectangular panels around 8 by 10 inches, thereabouts, um, that I've put color and pattern on in paint. And then over top, I put usually a recognizable image, usually with a stencil. And I think of them as sketches and they're things that, um, they're images that just keep on appearing to me that I feel a need to, to put down. And I'm responding to um, events around me. This series, I've sort of had the unofficial title of Bleak Outlook, because it's sort of, even though they look bright and colorful and sort of hopefully whimsical, I'm looking at, you know, homeless, I'm looking at violence perpetrated by different state oppression and things like that. Um, but I'm also looking at animals and uh, the environment, and, and uh, there, there, there's supposed there is a hopeful 
really a whimsical aspect that is is sort of enticing and then and people start to to think about the imagery i'm going to pass it over to, to mark i guess what um, I took this opportunity to do was to show two pieces that are two years apart, but they're they're based on the exact same pattern. So I've, I'm recycling myself, which I think is, for me, um, that concept of recycling art has always been frowned on. You don't copy what other people are doing, but I think it's okay to copy yourself. So I've sort of inspired by myself and recycled one of the images and did it in a different way. But I think that that one, I found that was interesting. And it's sort of, since there's only two of them, because we don't have a lot of space, and, and my work's relatively large, I thought I would pick two pieces that really, really came out of, one came out of the other. Um, over to Mark Bergstad. Uh, so I have uh, two pieces as well that I'm showing, and uh, both are homages to the two biggest influences I have uh, in my artistic practice, which is uh, a figure, a seated reclining figure, which is uh, kind of a tip of a hat to Henry Moore, who I've always been quite taken with. And uh, the second is a uh, tip of the hat to uh, a friend, a mentor, uh, the hardest working man I know, which is Shane Dark, uh, who I was fortunate enough to share a studio with for, I can't even tell you, three years, four years. It just kind of kept going. But uh, yeah, they're both uh, ended up uh, very drawn to how Shane is able to create kind of bursting energy out of something and a, a mundane simple kind of material like object or not material I mean industrial material and then how Henry Moore could play with making something so easily identifiable as you know a reclining figure and then something that is not at all identifiable as a reclining figure so that's it for me and how long can folks catch this exhibition here at the Window Gallery? So we're uh, we're open until the 31st of August, and we're having a, uh, a closing reception on the 27th. That was Mark Laundry, Ben Dara, and Mark Bergstead on Unity Road 4 at the Window Gallery currently. Also mentioned there was their fourth member, Anne Clark. The ending date has actually been revised for this exhibition, so the Window Gallery invites you to embrace this conceptual and tangible world of art from now until September 26th. You can visit windowartgallery.com or ksoa.info for more details. Those are all the updates I have for you today, but stay tuned on CFRC 101.9 FM to keep up with all your local news. Thanks very much, Christina. Some road closures to report this week. Albert Street from Union to Queen is closed today to Friday from 7 a.m. through 7 p.m. for milling of existing asphalt and new asphalt placement at the Queen's residence. As well, Cassidy Street near Montreal closed starting today until September 2nd for new water services. And with the Limestone City Blues Festival, some closures to be expected from Thursday through Sunday. On Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9.30, Ontario Street from Brock to Market will be closed. 
On Friday from 4.30 to 11.30 in the evening, Princess Street from Division to Barry will be closed. Saturday and Sunday from 3.30 in the afternoon to midnight each day on Broad Street from Ontario to Wellington will be closed, as well King Street from Clarence to Princess. And having a look at your weather for the week, mainly cloudy day for tomorrow. There is the chance of showers, the high 24, still feeling closer to 31 with the humidity. For Wednesday, mixture of sun and clouds, the high 26. Mix of sun and clouds Thursday, the high 27, and a bit cooler on Friday. Sun and clouds, chance of a shower, the high 22. Thank you for listening to The Scoop this week on CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. You can find previous episodes of The Scoop by going to cfrc.ca.